So even though you may feel like your faith is a candle in the wind, about ready to be snuffed out, but it will never be snuffed out because God won't let it. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and thanks for joining me in The Fox Den. Do you ever feel unstable in your faith? Do you feel the pressure from circumstances and situations threatening your faith? Do you ever feel the pressure from the culture, from worldly people, from people of influence? Do you ever feel like you struggle to keep your faith alive? Do you ever feel like your faith is a candle in the wind where you fear that your faith is about to be snuffed out? Well, here's the good news. If you're a believer in Christ, God has rescued you and nothing can change that. Not even your weak, unstable faith. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by grace through great faith. So your weak, unstable, your small faith is adequate faith. It's sufficient faith. You see, God doesn't require you to have great faith. He requires you to have faith. And that faith that he requires, he gave to you. So even though you may feel like your faith is a candle in the wind, about ready to be snuffed out, but it will never be snuffed out, because God won't let it. Remember, God saved you by his grace. He didn't save you by your merit or your permission. He requires faith. But again, he's not asking for great faith. He's asking for faith. And that faith that he requires, he gave to you. So keep in mind, your weak, frail faith is sufficient faith. Do you really believe that you came to faith in Christ by your own cognitive ability? Why did you come to faith in Christ and others didn't? Even though both of you have the same information, why is it that we all have the same Bible and yet these people believe and those people don't? Is it because we came to faith by our own mental abilities? No. We came to faith because of the work of God. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. You see, God enabled you to embrace Christ in faith. You didn't come to faith and then God made you alive. You were dead, spiritually dead. God made you alive. Then you were enabled to believe. So your salvation, including the faith that God requires, is a gift from God. God is the one who has done the work in bringing you to Christ. At this point, I want to direct your attention to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 31. And it asks, what is effectual calling? And it answers by saying, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Now, I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit. It's something that God does. And there's several parts here. There's two main verbs. He persuades and enables. He persuades us to embrace Christ, but he enables us to embrace Christ. You see, apart from the work of God's Spirit, we would never embrace Christ because we are unwilling and unable. And you can see this in Romans 8, 7. And in 1 Corinthians 2.14, in both those verses, you can see how a man apart from Christ refuses to accept the things of God 
but he's also unable to accept the things of God. So when you were able to recognize your sin, when you were able to recognize Christ as your Savior, as your only hope, and that you came to faith in him and you embraced him for your salvation, all of that was a work of God. You didn't do that. You wouldn't have done that apart from the work of God's Spirit. But because God's Spirit convinced you of your sin and misery, he enlightened your mind in the knowledge of Christ, and he renewed your will. You were dead, but God made you alive with Christ. So he persuaded you, and he enabled you to embrace Jesus Christ. Again, had the Spirit not done that, you never would have embraced Christ. But now that the Spirit enabled you, you would not not embrace Christ. You see, God ensured that you would embrace Christ. So I I want you to see that the whole work of salvation is a work of God. And because that's true, your faith will never be snuffed out. But I do have a couple things that you can do that I think will be helpful in those times when you feel like your faith is a candle in the wind and about to be snuffed out. And the first thing is, you have to keep in mind that the Christian life is a mental game. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So Paul understands how important the mind is in the Christian life. I mean, think about it. Your actions are shaped by your thoughts. So this is why it's important for us to be renewing our minds on a daily basis, reminding ourselves what is true about God, what is true about Christ, what is true about what is to come, because the old man will always pulse away from God. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying the Christian life is easy. It's not. Do you realize before we were believers, life was actually pretty simple because we didn't care. We didn't care if we were offending God, but now we struggle. We want to please God, and yet we find ourselves sinning against God. And I talk about this struggle in episode 12. So the Christian life is not easy. It's a struggle between heaven and sin. And this is why Paul tells us to take every thought captive. And he tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You see, Paul understood the Christian life is a mental game. Second, you need to realize that you will always be pulled toward the world. Our sinful human heart loves the world. Our sinful human heart hates God. But God has made us alive with Christ, so now we love God. Yet the old man is still there. Sin is still alive in us and is always pulling us toward the world. Why do you think life as a believer in Christ is so difficult? Again, it's this tension. Twice Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that it's sin in me that keeps on sinning. And again, I talk about Romans chapter 7 in episode 12. But keep in mind, That the sinful you is always pulled toward the world. Always. That's why you struggle in this life. Trust me, the day that you die, you will never struggle with sin again. It's not because you no longer exist. It's because your body of sin is dead. And you enter into eternal glory with God, waiting for the resurrection. But at that point, you will never sin. Third, you need to remember that God saved you by his grace. He didn't save you by your merit or your permission. God saved you when you hated him. And if God saved you when you hated him, he's not going to expel you from heaven now. You see, you're saved. Nothing can change that. Again, you did nothing to be saved. God did all of the work, and he did it when you hated him. 
So if God saved you, God will make sure you finish with faith. He will not let your faith be extinguished. Remember what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that God rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to Christ's kingdom. And in that redemption, you have the forgiveness of sins. And then also look at Ephesians chapter 2. There Paul tells us that we were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. So if God transferred you to Christ's kingdom, if God made you alive with Christ, there's nothing you can do to get God to get rid of you. Now again, let me point you to episode 5. That's where I talk about Ephesians chapter 2. And then while I'm at it, go ahead and take time to listen to episodes 2 through 4. Now maybe at this point you're wondering if you're even saved. How do you know if you're really saved? Perhaps that's part of your faith being a candle in the wind. Well, I'm going to address this by saying two things. First, the fact that you're even asking the question, am I really saved? That tells me you're a believer. You see, if you're not a believer in Christ, you don't really care. You wouldn't really be asking the question. Now, I mean, there are some, I'm sure, who want to escape hell and don't really believe in Christ. But I think the deep concern is actually a sign that you're a believer. But second, answer this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he God's anointed who came to save God's people? Or is he just a good man, a good moral man who taught some good life principles? Well, let me say this. If he's not the risen Savior, then he's not a good man. You see, he lied. He claimed to be God. So if he claimed to be God and he's not God, then he's not a good man. He's a liar. But Jesus asked Peter this very question, who do you say that I am? And in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, Peter said that he believed that Jesus is the Christ. And at that point, Jesus' ministry changes. So Peter's confession at that point was significant, not because Peter's significant, but that was the right answer. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's anointed who came to save God's people. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is both God and human. He came to earth. He took our sins on himself. He died the death that we deserve so that our sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead, never to die again. So who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a good man, or is he the Christ who came to rescue God's people? And if you truly believe that he is the Christ that came to save God's people, you're a believer. Now let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And there Paul tells us that if we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. And look at what he says in verse 10. You believe with your heart, and because you believe, you're justified. You see, now he's talking about justification, justification by faith. And again, at this point, let me go ahead and point you to episode four, where I talk about justification. So I want you to see how simple this is. I'm not talking about the Christian life. I'm talking about salvation. You're not saved because you jump through a bunch of hoops. You're not saved because you do a whole bunch of rituals. You follow a whole bunch of rules. You did nothing to be saved. God did all the work. Do you believe that to be true? That's really the question. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. You believe that, you are saved. That's how simple this is. Now, I do want to say this. You're not saved because you confess. You confess because you're saved. You see, God didn't transfer you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son because you confessed and believed. God changed you from dead to living. Now you confess and believe. You see, God did the work first. 
and you confess and believe because of God's work. And this is something that you need to remind yourself of daily, that God saved you by his grace in Christ, and he did this by his grace alone. He didn't do this because of your merit or your permission. Fourth, simply just a call of faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We see that in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas what he needed to do to be saved, and they answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And if you'd like, take some time to read the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 40. You see, this is all you really need to know and believe, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is Lord. God raised him from the dead. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't struggle. I'm certain that you will still feel like your faith is weak. However, you need to come back to Acts chapter 16, verse 31, and remember the promise of God. Fifth, remember that God gave you the faith that he requires. We already covered Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 31, but take some time to look that over, and you will see that God is the one who persuaded and enabled you to believe and to embrace Christ. And as you struggle to keep your faith alive, you don't need to worry. God gave you this faith. He gave you the faith that he required, and he will keep that faith alive even when it's weak and unstable. Again, your weak, unstable faith is sufficient faith. You don't have to have great faith. Your weak faith is sufficient. Let me remind you what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. God is going to complete the work he began. And then let me also point you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul encourages us to work out our salvation. Now, He's not saying that you have to earn your salvation. That's not the point. He's saying you have salvation. Now work it out. Exercise it. And do so with fear and trembling. But look at what he says in verse 13. God is the one who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, God is working in you at this very moment. God is not distant. He doesn't sit up in heaven and just hope that you're going to finish well. God is actively involved in your life every moment of every day. Even when you sin, God is extending his grace to you. He already knows you're going to sin. He told you that in Romans chapter 7. But keep in mind that God is the one who continues to work in you. And God is the one who gave you the faith that he requires. He's not going to let it be extinguished. Sixth, remember that you are secure in Christ. I want you to see what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. In John chapter 10, Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. And here in verse 28, he says that he gives his sheep eternal life. And look at what he says. No one is going to snatch them from his hand. But look at what he says in verse 29. No one's going to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you realize you're doubly protected? Nobody can snatch you from Christ's hand or the Father's hand. And that nobody includes you. You cannot even pry yourself from his fingers. You are secure, not because of what you have done. You are secure because of what God has done. Again, God didn't rescue you by your own merit. And if he rescued you in Christ, 
you are secure no matter the depth of your sin. Now, at this point, I need to throw out a disclaimer because I know that some people will think that I am giving license to sin. I am not. I am not saying that you have permission to sin. In no way am I saying that. What I am saying is that Jesus covers all of our sins, even the big ones. Does that mean that we should go on sinning? Of course not. Paul even says that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And he's referring to what he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God's grace always outdoes our sin. And then in Romans chapter 6, he says, should we keep on sinning so that grace abounds? And then he answers, by no means. No, we don't keep sinning so that God's grace abounds. We just know that when we do sin, which we will, because of what Paul told us in Romans chapter 7, that God's grace is always going to outdo our sin. You see, you are secure in Christ. You need to remember that. Now, there's several more verses I want to point you to. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 20. Now, at this point, Jesus has already died on the cross and risen from the dead, and he has yet to ascend to heaven. And this is what he says to his disciples. He is with us always to the end of the age. You see, Christ is with us now, and he's with us till the day he returns and we rise from the dead. Or look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, even though we were born well after that, when God made us alive with Christ, he united us with Christ even on the cross. So Jesus' crucifixion is our crucifixion. That's the point that Paul's making. It's a past tense. It's a passive. I have been crucified with Christ. But look at what else he says. It is Christ who lives in me. You see, Jesus didn't just leave you alone. He's with you even now, even when you feel like your faith is about to be snuffed out. Or look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Paul tells us that we have been united to Christ in his death. That's what baptism is. That's the point that he's getting at here. So our baptism signifies that we've been united to Christ in his death and his burial. And because of that, we are to walk in newness of life. But look at verse 5. We will certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection similar to his. That's a promise of what is to come. And then finally, look at John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. Jesus says that all that the Father gives him will come to him. That all means all the people that God gave Jesus to save. They will come to him. That's a promise. That is certain. And look at what he says at the end of verse 37. He'll never cast them out. That's a promise. He will never cast them out. You see, he came down to do the will of God, the will of the Father. And that was to save all whom the Father had given him. And look at what he says at the end of verse 40. He's going to raise them up on the last day. You see, your salvation is based on the promise of God. God cannot lie. It's not based on your merit or permission. Based on the promise of God and the work of Christ. Jesus came to save the people whom God had given him. And he's not going to cast them out. And he is going to raise them up on the last day. When Jesus returns, we're going to rise from the dead. And again, you may be wondering, am I really a believer? We'll go back and and answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Christ who came to save God's people? 
then you're a believer if you answer yes. So remember that you are secure in Christ. Seven, find a church. Now, I know for some of you, this is very difficult. You're not necessarily in a place where there's a good church. And there is such a thing as false churches. And that means a group that looks like and acts like a church, but it's not really a church. And in the United States, there are a lot of those. I'm certain there are around the world, too. But I'm speaking from my experience here in the United States. Now, Article 29 of the Belgic Confession talks about the marks of the true church. We're not going to go into this in much detail. This is actually enough content for another episode. So I'll probably do something on this in the future. In fact, my dissertation was on finding a church based on the marks of the church. But many of the Reformed confessions acknowledge that there are three marks of the church. And you can rest assured if these marks aren't present, it's not a true church. So the first mark is the proclamation of the gospel. The second one is the administration of the sacraments, meaning baptism and the Lord's Supper. And third is church discipline. So, yes, you should be in a church where you're hearing the gospel of Christ every week, where they administer the sacraments, where they apply church discipline. Or said another way, you need to be careful that you're not just going into any church. But when you're involved in a a true church, you're hearing the good news of Christ proclaimed on a regular basis, and you enjoy fellowship with God's people, so you're with other believers which is important. But again, I know there are some of you who may not have that opportunity. And this is where technology today is great. So as you're listening to this podcast, you find other sources to stream where you're hearing solid biblical teaching. You're hearing the good news of Christ proclaimed on a regular basis. And keep in mind, before the internet, reaching distant lands was very difficult. And you think back in the early church, right after the ascension of Jesus and the church is beginning to grow, they didn't really even have letters. They had the Old Testament, which is Scripture, but they didn't even have the resources that we have today. And God kept their faith alive. And he's going to do the same with you. So if you're able, you find a good church, one where you will hear the good news of Christ proclaimed on a regular basis, But if you can't find a church, then find good biblical content on the internet through several different sources where you're hearing the good news of Christ. Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing. And then eighth, I've already touched on this, but spend time with other believers. And again, some of you listening may have a more difficult time trying to find believers that you can spend time with. But if you can spend time with other believers and you can encourage each other with God's Word and through prayer, then I think that will help you as well. And then finally, focus on the promise of God. Don't look for what you're supposed to do. That's our tendency to do that. Focus on the promise of God. You see, the Bible's not a book of rules. It's not a checklist of things to do. The Bible is primarily a book about God and how he defeated Satan through Christ. God told Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he was going to defeat him. And the rest of history is the unfolding of God's operation to defeat Satan. And in that plan to defeat Satan, God rescues his people. Those of us in Christ are kingdom citizens. The Bible does tell us how we are to live as kingdom citizens. 
But the Bible is not primarily a book of things to do. The Bible is a book of redemption. It is the story of God defeating Satan and redeeming his people with the blood of Christ. So in those times when you feel that your faith is a candle in the wind about to be snuffed out, remember these things. Remember that God saved you in Christ by his grace alone, not by your merit or permission. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Remember that God gave you the faith that he requires. Remember that you are secure in Christ and nothing can change that. 